Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Through the Clouds podcast. My name is Jared Schiedemeyer, and I'm joined alongside the very talented Ava Albright. Hello. And we are excited to bring you episode number seven of the podcast. We have quite the exciting show for you today. We do. It's been a while. It has been a while, and we are so excited to come back to you with another episode. This week, we're going to bring our own jam-packed aviation stories of the week, go through some aviation news, we're going to answer the top five most asked questions for pilots, and then we're going to go through our featured incident, and for the first ever, a featured airline of the week. I'm excited. It should be a very exciting episode. Okay, first off, Ava, looks like you got some. you had some exciting news and an exciting flying week. Yeah, so happening. It's, I mean, it's been a while since we've last recorded one of these episodes, and in that time, I did in fact pass my stage one check for private pilot license. Congratulations! Um, what is like a, so what is a stage one check? Um, I think we've gone over another episode, but basically, it's just um, to make sure that you are learning effectively and able to do what you've trained to do um, in the plane. Just make sure that you're flying safe and smart and responsible because a lot of a lot of stage two is flying on your own. So they want to be able to make sure that you are um, doing everything right, basically. Well, that is exciting. Yeah. Flying on your own. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so in between when I passed that and now... I have done two solo flights. I did one just staying near the airport in the pattern, and then I did another one going out to our south practice area, so South Lewis, um, flying around for a little bit, and then came back. And then I've also done a couple flights with my instructor, um, some unusual attitudes, VOR tracking, um, a lot of instrument flight. Okay. So that's all been very fun. That is awesome. What is instrument flight? So instrument flight is basically just relying on your instruments um, for situations as if, like, you're stuck in the clouds and you can't see anything. Just learning and being able to rely on your instruments to get you back to where you came from or somewhere safe. Very exciting. Yeah. So Awesome. It's very fun. So I, on the other hand, have also started uh, getting to fly on my own a little bit more as I have started my commercial pilot's license and working on those commercial cross countries that you need. Yes. We need lots and lots and lots of hours around. I think the FAA required is 50 as a part 141 school. Our Lewis requirements are a little bit less, but nevertheless, it's still a lot of solo cross country time that you have to do. Yep, so you were working on your instrument and commercial at the same time, is that right? That is correct. Yeah, it's been quite the exciting time. One day I'm under the hood shooting approaches into an airport, and the next I'm flying alone at night to Indiana, as I did earlier this week. You flew to Purdue. Unfortunately, I had to visit Purdue University. Okay, you got hours. You're almost to 100 hours, actually. So I am almost to 100 hours. That's very exciting. It sure is. Yeah, I'm at 99.5 right now. So my next flight, which hopefully should be tomorrow morning, yep. I should hopefully cross that 100-hour barrier. Get a selfie. I will get a selfie holding a 100-hour sign. That's good. That's um, always exciting. I am very excited. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what that's what we got for, for our stories. Is there any other stories going around that are interesting? I don't know. 
Well, I think we need to go call into our news broadcasting center. Yeah. I'll give them a ring real quick. Hello? Yeah? Okay. You ready for the news segment? Cool. This is your weekly aviation news. I am through the clouds podcast. I am your host, George Schiedemeyer, journal alongside Dave Alpine. And we got quite the exciting news stories for you this week, as it has been quite the busy week in the airline industry. I like how it gets less and less serious if you go on with what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Every single time. It never, never fails to make me laugh. That's the, that's, that's the whole goal, I think. Yeah. Be so fun. What, what do we got going on? Well, um, Turkish Airlines, they, they teased us. Um, a huge 600 airplane order is to, uh, supposed to be announced next month. 600 airplanes? Yes. That, that's going to be one of the largest aircraft orders of all time, if not the largest. Yeah, so we have a few options as to ideas of what they could be ordering more of. Um, so far in the fleet, they um, have A320 Neos, 737 Maxes, and then on the wide-body side, they have A350 900s, 787-9s, and then they have older A330s and 777s. Interesting. Some people are thinking it might be a 777X or a A350-1000, but I'm honestly hoping it's the, an A330neo. The, well, the A350-1000 would be interesting because there are very few carriers right now that offer the 1000 as a product. So Turkish Airlines incorporating yeah. that into the fleet would be great. And it means that they want to go far. They're not looking for small hops. They're looking nope. for far hops. But yeah. Turkey is literally in the middle of the world. It's the same yeah. distance to Australia as it is to West Coast Los Angeles. Yeah, so I'm I personally am hoping that it's either A three thirties or A three fifties. Um that however I'm not like favoring Airbus over Boeing. It's just I like this place. Well, and with the triple seven X being so delayed recently, yeah, it really. I mean, you see a lot of airlines are starting to go towards Airbus after Boeing's last few failures. Yeah. So it'll be quite interesting to see um, if more airlines follow suit with the Airbus notion. But on that on that note, uh, Ryanair, the um, the Europe based low cost carrier, ultra low cost carrier has announced this week that they are ordering up to 300 Boeing 737 MAX 10s, an order which is worth $40 billion. I have one thing to say. Let's hope they really make sure the nose gear's on tight. <laughs> exactly. That was, that, was a, uh, that was a Ryanair slander right there. There we go. I was waiting for it. That was a good one, but yeah, it's quite the uh, quite the interesting move by Ryanair. As recently, they ordered a bunch of Boeing seven thirty seven. I think it was Max eights um, in two thousand and twenty one, I believe. And so now it seems like they're moving on to the seven thirty seven Max ten, which means maybe Ryanair is trying to go farther. And maybe that means a Ryanair might land in the United States sometime soon. Oh, you can only hope. I think that'll be interesting. I mean, they did tease on their social media that they would never fly to the United States, but anything that makes them money, which the I think the United States customer base would be happy to fly Ryanair. Yeah. I mean, just think like Spirit Airlines is so successful, Allegiance so successful, Frontier so successful, yeah. and they're they're selling basically the same product that Ryanair is. 
except not transcontinental. The ultra low cost transcontinental is almost an untapped market. Yeah, we could use some of those. Yeah, I mean, we saw Norse Airlines currently flies ultra low cost, uh, not transcontinental. I meant transatlantic. Um, Norwegian used to, but they went bankrupt. Iceland Air kind of follows that same yeah. same route. Um, has the the low cost business model. Uh, JetBlue is kind of following that, but they're kind of more a medium cost than a low cost. So yeah, it'll be quite. I mean, imagine thirty seven dollars to fly across the Atlantic. That'd be pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so uh, these will the carrier will take delivery of these. Between 2027 and 2033. So obviously still a ways to go. Um, at least like, what, three and a half years? Well, I mean, there have been zero 737 MAX 10s delivered yeah. to any airline yet because they're still pending FAA approval after the yeah. huge crisis. So it's still going to be well. That's the thing I find just so crazy and fascinating about airlines is they just order these so far in advance. Yeah. Like, the, they don't even honestly know what they could turn out to be exactly um that's also what i just find so crazy about especially like united with boom supersonic 2029 that's it's a ways away yeah um but you know they're gonna do what they do they're gonna, well, do, and they're gonna do they don't even know if boom supersonic is going to exist in 2029 yeah it depends upon if they can get the flight testing done and the test beds already and if it the airplane actually flies that'd be super cool if it did yeah, maybe next week we'll do a um, a snapshot on Boom Supersonic and see where it's at in its in its process. Yeah, but so yeah, that's what you got for Ryanair. Yeah, and Ava, I heard you say something about Southwest and their seven thirty sevens. What's up with that? Um, yeah, so you know Southwest is known for their seven thirty sevens. That is the only type of aircraft they fly. Um, so they just received their one hundred seventy fifth. Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft. That is a lot. Um, that is crazy. Um, and with this delivery, which happened on May 11th, they say that the carrier is only six aircraft away from hitting a total fleet size of 800 aircraft. 800 airplanes. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I like Southwest. So this is, this is, this is cool for them. Yeah, I guess now's a good time if you want. You're looking to go to Southwest. It looks like yeah. they're going pretty crazy on the uh, the new airplane mark, and they need pilots to fill those seats. Speaking of Southwest, can we just talk about the new the MU01 livery for a second? Yes. And just appreciate how beautiful that plane is. Why, why don't you explain to their viewers at home that might not know what you're talking about, uh, what this livery is all about? Um. So basically this livery was made after – Stuff in Hawaii, so it's filled with different things. I did see, I watched a video, and it was talking, it pointed out the sea turtle that was on the plane. That's what really caught my attention. That's cool. Yeah, so if you are not aware at home, Southwest does lots of flag special liveries. And livery is what we call the paint job on the airplane. Mm -hmm. So they've got um, state flags, and they usually name them state flag with the word one after yeah. them. So we have Florida one, Tennessee one, Kentucky, or not Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Texas one, uh, Illinois one, mm, California yeah. one, you know, insert any states that uh, Southwest has a crew base in. Also Freedom one. 
Freedom one is the American flag. Um, They've got Triple Crown one, which is after their uh, major airline award that they received. They've got a lot of special liveries. And so this Manawa one, I'm totally butchering. It's supposed to reflect the unique culture of all the different tribes of Hawaii. And I don't know if tribes is the right word to use here, but... Um, all the different cultures that are in Hawaii all together on one aircraft to represent their Hawaii markets. So, yeah, pretty cool airplane, and it looks amazing. Yes, for sure. If you have a chance to look it up, do so. Look at the pictures. It's pretty cool. Um, Believe it or not, it does not just fly around Hawaii. It It, flies everywhere. Apparently, it came here last week, and I missed it. sad, but that's cool. Because the Southwest arrivals at Midway fly right over the college. Yeah. Um, and recently, on this talk of special liveries, uh, Alaska Airlines released their new Salmon 37 Salmon livery, which was used to be a 737-800 that was painted like a salmon, and it was called the Salmon 37 Salmon. Uh, and they recently redid it, redid it, and it looks really cool. It doesn't look like a fish anymore, but is also representing the cultures of alaska and the fishing uh the wide fishing population they got there yeah got a lot of fishing exactly um on the talk of airlines expanding and launching first off delta airlines recently announced this last week that they are starting a new los angeles to paris route starting i think this summer so that's quite exciting what are uh, they what plane are they flying the a350 i yeah it'll, it'll either be the a350 900 or the A330neo. Um, I can I'm I'm going to say it's probably going to be the Neo to be honest, but I yeah. that's not confirmed. The Team USA Neo question mark. <laughs> That'll be cool. Um and Qatar Airways recently relaunched its longest route, which is to Auckland with the A- Airbus A350, which is a change of aircraft from the Boeing 777-200LR. This is the longest non-stop route that Qatar Airways serves. And it is exciting exciting because the A350s have space for 327 passengers on board, and it is uh, much more luxurious for the long haul as Qatar looks at getting rid of their aging 777-200s. So, yeah, should be quite exciting. Actually, I didn't even know that um, Qatar Airways still had their 777-200s. Yeah. Um, Another thing about Qatar is they started resuming their – receiving their deliveries of the A350 again. It's been a while. That was after the major lawsuit they had with Airbus over paint chipping on the A350. But it looks like they're all friendly again. Yeah. Anything Um, else? We got one last news story. NIFA SafeCon, which is um, the National um, Collegiate Flying, the National Intercollegiate Flying Association, which is basically a giant competition. It's basically the March Madness tournament for colleges with flight schools that have flying teams and they compete in various ground and flying events, such as landing challenges, aircraft recognition challenges, simulator sessions, um, cross-country planning sessions, all sorts of things like that. They have recently um, ran their competition these last two weeks. Uh, The competitions ended yesterday. 
in Oshkosh, Wisconsin was where it was held. This year, last year, it was Ohio State or the Ohio State University Airport. And this year it was hosted at Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And it looks like um, we there was a great turnout. Um, and overall, yeah. Embry-Riddle in Arizona, the Arizona campus, seemed to uh, take out the number one spot. Yeah, good for them. Congratulations. Yeah, Embry-Riddle Prescott. And it looks like uh, Coach Philip Roberts from Le Tourneau University won Coach of the Year. The Collegiate Aviation Progress Award went to Minnesota State Mankato, and the Safety Award went to the University of North Dakota. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it seemed like everyone there was having a pretty fun time. I've seen a lot of. Yeah, we were looking at our own flight team, and it looks like they did good. Yeah, so Riddle won the flight events with uh, Southern Illinois University coming in second. Ohio State University coming in third, Embry-Riddle Daytona in fourth, and wrapping up the fifth was Western Michigan University. So, yeah, quite the um, quite the exciting year for all those involved. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, even the people from the military academy as well as, I think, the Air Force Academy. Yeah, yeah, the Air Force Academy were also competing. Very fun. Yeah. Eva, what do we got going on next in the show? So, sadly, no jokes this week. Perfect. Just We just needed that for this episode. Yeah. Uh, instead of our jokes, we have five questions that you may have always wanted to ask an airline pilot. We will try to answer these to the best of our abilities. Obviously, we both are not yet airline pilots. But we do still have some experience flying airplanes. Almost 100 hours. Yeah, some of us, yeah. So you want to go ahead and okay. ask the first question? The first question is, how long does it take to train as a pilot? Well, that can vary. Um, there are different ways to go about pilot training. Um, some choose the collegiate way. Some choose just the normal going to flight school way. Um, so for flight schools, it really, what I've, what I've noticed is if you choose to do it, um, not going to college, it really basically depends on how much money you have or are willing to pay. Um, cause flight training is very, very, very expensive. So, you know, you only can have so much money. You can only, I mean, even for us, it's a lot of money. Yeah, to, for example, to become a commercial airline pilot, you need 1,000 total hours uh, with a four-year degree. If you have a two-year associate's degree uh, in an aviation uh, university, that would be uh, 1,250 hours to go to the airlines. And if you do not have any uh, specific aviation degree, it is 1,500 hours to go to the airlines. Uh, so you have to get from zero to 1,500 as well as all of your certificates um in whatever way you choose and that can be that can be some people do it in two years some people do in 10 years Um, depends how early you started uh yeah another thing with becoming a pilot is there's always recurrent training that you need to be doing so i mean really you're never you're never going to stop learning exactly there are always new things you're learning to do there are always new planes you're learning how to fly um you know so it can, it's just, it's, it's a constant thing. 
Yeah. Um, on terms of how long you're paying for it, like you said, anywhere between like two to ten years. Um, yeah. Once once you stop paying for it, it's really great. <laughs> yeah. So thanks to the airlines for that. Exactly. But, so yeah, that's kind of the answer to that question, I guess. Yeah. It really just depends. Exactly. Uh, there are some like accelerated programs such yeah. as ATP Flight School that'll bring you from zero hours to your commercial pilot's license, which is not the same license you need to fly a, a commercial airliner. Yeah, we have talked about that in the past. Uh, right. So that's just the license that you can start getting paid for any sort of flying, like banner towing or tour guides. And they will do that in about six months, I think. That's awesome. It's like flying three times a day, seven days a week. It's like it's like a full time job, but instead you're paying for it. <laughs> exactly. Instead you're paying like <laughs> eighty thousand dollars for it or something like that. All right. The second question: What is the strangest thing you've seen in the sky during a flight? Boy, I, I have seen some interesting things, but I mean, they're kind of just more interesting to me, and most of them are ground based. And the most interesting thing I've seen in the sky. Do you, Do you have any answer to this? Um, I can't even, I, I should have probably looked at these questions ahead of time. I don't, I can't think of anything right now that was also in the air as I was in the air. I mean, we're getting, we're getting Southwest planes fly over us like a thousand feet above, but that's not, it's not strange. That's it's awesome. Pretty common. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some pretty interesting weather phenomena. Um, once I was on a cross country to Rockford and there was a thunderstorm building around us and there was like a perfect tunnel through the middle of the thunderstorm that was like perfectly clear skies but if you look to the left or to the right it was like dark and scary and like you don't want to be anywhere around that yeah so that was pretty interesting um but i haven't seen a ufo or anything like that i mean a lot of crazy birds that that is true like they'll you'll be coming up on them and they'll just all start flying in separate directions so you don't really know where to go yeah, Hopefully. I did see a bird the other day at like 6,500 feet, which I didn't think the birds flew that high. So that was pretty high to see a bird. It was just cooling off a little bit maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, Eva. Um, what do you do when you turn the autopilot on? So do you just sit there or you go on your phone? What do you do? I, I have only been in the plane with the autopilot on a couple times. And all of those times the autopilot – was turned on solely for me to either grab something out of my bag behind me to be shown something or instructed on how to do something or my instructor just wanted to sit back relax for a second but i know for sure you have much more experience with autopilot especially in across countries i'm approaching starting across countries pretty soon um yeah, so i, I feel like you have a better answer to this question i didn't use autopilot until after i got my private pilot's yeah. license um, so you're already kind of steps ahead of me in that sense. Um, otherwise, for instrument flying, uh, we'll use autopilot to help lessen the workload. There is a lot of stuff you need to do even when the autopilot's flying. you got to program the autopilot, monitor the autopilot, make sure you, it's doing what you want it to do. There's a lot of other things in the airplane that are not connected to the autopilot systems that you have to take care of, such as frequencies, talking on the radios, all that stuff. The autopilot doesn't do any of that for you. Yeah, so we can't just sit there and relax. Exactly. Um, and that's that's true even for the airliners. I mean, they turn yeah. on the autopilot. They still have to be monitoring frequencies, um, briefing approaches and departure procedures, um, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. 
Um, and more recently, I've been t- throwing it on during my commercial cross countries, and I'll be monitoring it that way. And once again, that's to lessen the workload and fatigue during these uh, longer cross countries. Uh, we have to do like a 250 mile cross country as part of commercial. That's a very long time. That's, you know, a couple hours. Yeah. So if you're hand flying that the entire way, you can get very fatigued easily. So by throwing on the autopilot, it just lessens the workload, but we're still doing lots of things. It just helps us um, last a little bit longer, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it can be very mentally exhausting sometimes to be flying a plane. I mean, there's so many different things you have to do and um, worry about, but... Yeah, I personally, my rule is I, I never throw the, the autopilot on um, with the exception of instrument flying. I only throw it on when I'm in the cruise phase. Um, yeah. I don't throw it on to climb. I don't throw it on to descend um, during my cross countries. It's on during the cruise phase and the rest of the time I'm hand flying the airplane. Yeah, so that's the answer to that question. Um, does turbulence bother pilots as much as it does passengers? I would say it depends on the type of turbulence. Um, generally, for you know, light chop and stuff like that, or slight turbulence, um, I think we're more used to it than passengers just because we've experienced it a lot more. And we know that we're in control of the airplane, so we yeah. know that like everything's okay. Versus from a passenger perspective, you're just feeling these and you have no control over the feelings that you're getting, which, I mean, we don't really have any control when turbulence comes either. But our hand's still on the yoke, and, I mean... We obviously know that the airplane's going to be stable and we have the instruments to look at yep. to make sure everything's good. Yeah, um, I'd, you said that pretty well. Um, I have experienced pretty rough turbulence in the smaller planes. Um, there's been times where the stuff has just flung off of our laps, um, gone all over the airplane. But just like you said, I mean, we're in control. It's just a little air. I mean, um, on, on strong turbulence days, like I did across country to Kalamazoo. Yeah. And that was insane turbulence. And I'm not gonna, I'm not going to lie. I did not like one, it one bit. I mean, I felt very uncomfortable yeah, the whole especially time. Especially if you're, if you get motion sick too, that's just a whole other thing. Yeah. I didn't feel endangered in any sense, but like it was very uncomfortable. It starts getting to your stomach and I didn't, your head. And yeah. I didn't want to be in it for very much longer. I just wanted to yeah. like get on the ground. For instances where I'm a passenger on a bigger, bigger plane, um, like this last time I was flying to Miami from LaGuardia, we ended up over the Bahamas cause we had to be vectored on storms, but there was a lot of turbulence. And I think I'm just a little bit of a psycho sometimes because I find the turbulence kind of fun. I just, I, it's just so like interesting to me seeing the wing be able to flex that much mm-hmm. and nothing happen. Um, it, it is crazy that, you know, there are so many, like when you're driving on the road, yeah, you can see, you know, things coming up and the bump in the yep. road and stuff like that. When like you're flying, hole. you can't see the potholes of the sky, which we no. call turbulence. You can't see it. Um, so it's quite interesting. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely keeps you in your toes. It's very unexpected. It, I, I feel like it makes you a better pilot, to be honest, because you know how to handle it and you know to like be paying attention and stuff, but. Okay, well, our last question is, what is your advice to passengers who are afraid of flying? So for me, I I don't really know how to answer this question because I have never been the type of person to be deathly afraid of flying. I would honestly say go fly, like go do like a young eagle's flight or do an eagle flight or something in a small plane. You realize how much control you truly have over the airplane and 
over everything that goes on. Because um, I just, I find that, it, like, after I see things, I know a lot better of, like, what's going on. But that's just a per- personal preference and suggestion. Yeah, there's there's two things I'm going to see here. One, um, you know, there's a reason why everything's happening. So if you hear a weird sound, such as you're on an A320 and you hear the barking sound underneath it sounds like there's something wrong with the plane. That's just the hydraulics moving yep. around. They're super loud on the Airbuses. Yep. Um, just if, research, basically. Yeah, if you, you know, there's there's a rhyme and a reason to everything. And if you ever notice that when you're on the ground, there's like a whole bunch of maintenance issues with planes, and then you're scared to go on. The reason why there's so many maintenance issues found on the ground is because pilots and uh, ground crew teams are extremely thorough in checking the aircraft before every single departure. So it's not like, oh, this maintenance issue randomly popped up and we weren't looking for it. No, it's like we're seeking to find the maintenance issues. Like uh, we were trained when I was a ground crew ramper. We were trained to treat every plane like it's going to be down for maintenance and to inspect it as if it was not going to go out flying. Because if you have that mentality and you're seeking through everything, then, um, I mean, it's just so much more thorough. And we're expecting the planes to be broken. And then when it's not broken, it's a good thing because, I mean, all of our thorough checks were completed. So yeah. maintenance is not a safety issue. It's actually like uh, prevention. See, it's a, you know, emergency prevention technique. Yeah, so I just say for sure, um, do your research. I mean, I understand why it could be scary, but just doing your research, um, and yeah, like I just said before, maybe just trying to experience it as you being near the controls and seeing what's actually going on. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good good yeah. way to put it. Okay, Eva, what is our featured incident of the week? So this week. Are you gonna do you gonna do it? You gonna press the button? There we go. American Airlines Flight 191. It was a regularly scheduled domestic passenger flight in the US from Chicago O'Hare International Airport to Los Angeles International Airport in California. This was May 25th, 1979. A McDonnell Douglas DC ten uh, taking off from one way three two right at O'Hare. Uh, When it was taking off, the left engine detached from the wing. This caused a loss of control, and the DC-10 crashed less than a mile from the end of the runway. All 258 passengers and 13 crew on board were killed, along with two people on the ground. Um, So this was the deadliest aviation accident to have occurred in the United States. A very unfortunate accident. Um, So... After doing, I mean, this was a very kind of almost controversial investigation because there were a lot of photos that became uh, visible to the public in the news, newspaper, etc., of the plane crashing into the it crashed into hangars. Um, so the NTSB or the National Transportation Safety Board determined that the probable cause of the accident was a asymmetrical stall and roll of the aircraft. Because of the engine detaching from the left wing, they found out that the engine detaching resulted from damage that was caused by improper maintenance procedures. Um, that resulted in the failure of the pylon structure, which the pylon structure, sorry, which left the airplane to not be in good shape. 
quite the interesting uh, accident here and yeah. quite the unfortunate one as well. For sure. I feel like it definitely could have been um, avoided. Avoided, yeah. But that's how most accidents go. Yeah. Yeah. Out of this, um, it looks like there were 271 fatalities, which is everyone on the airplane. There are zero survivors. Zero survivors, yep. And then also the two on the ground, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, it sure is. Just minding your own business for the day, and then all of a sudden, whammo. Yeah, it looks like most people were United States citizens with four from Saudi Arabia, four from the Netherlands, and three other ones from the South Korea, Austria, and Belgium. Yep, so... Um, just a little background information on the DC-10 and previous accidents before this one. American Airlines Flight 96 in 1972 was another time when the DC-10 had crashed, also an American Airlines accident. And then an additional one, Turkish Airlines Flight 981 in 1974. Um, that was another DC-10 accident. And the, the DC-10 could be called the 737 MAX of the uh, the 20th century. Yep. Due to its um, it, it's many crashes that happened almost all do the same reason, which was engines detaching from the airframe. Um, unfortunately, the DC-10 has quite the uh, blood-written um, history, but it's also one of the um, one of the most popular aircraft of its time, and some of them um, were modified versions of them still fly today in forms of the MD-11 which is now used for cargo on both FedEx and UPS. Yeah. Um, so this was just yeah, a very unfortunate accident. Um, as we always say, you learn from this accident. You move on trying to improve safety on both the airplanes, airlines, and the pilots. Um, obviously, the cause of this was maintenance issues, uh, improper maintenance on the plane. Uh, as we see with a lot of accidents, sadly, that it, it's a very unfortunate because it's something that could be avoided. Yeah. Just like you said. So, but better training, improved safety that always can help. It sure can. Yeah. Quite the unfortunate, unfortunate accident here. Yeah. Well, anything well, else to say about that accident? Uh, nothing, but I am no. so excited to share our featured for the first time ever, our featured airline of the week. Uh, recently, we talked about Icelandair and its low-cost carrier um, outlook, and that's who we're going to be talking about today. Icelandair is the flight carrier of Iceland, uh, which is based at Keflavik International Airport in Iceland. It originally started in 1937 with a floatplane, the Waco YKS-7, which then transported cargo as well as passengers um, all over the Icelandic uh, island. Uh, eventually, in 1970s, they brought in the DC-3, um, which they also still have. Um, they still have one of their DC-3s on display at their Reykjavik airport. That's cool. It is quite cool. Um, the DC-4 Caribou was introduced. Um, in the 1940s as well. In the 1960s, the um, Iceland Air was the first Icelandic airline to join the jet age, uh, in which they got the Boeing 727-727 uh, to fly for them. 
And that's when they started going, you know, across the pond more, as well as with the DC-8s to Luxembourg, London, uh, Portugal, stuff like that. And then in 2010, um, the airline had originally filed for bankruptcy. Then they came back um, and they started really, really expanding their routes. And that's when tourism boomed in Iceland. Um, they launched flights to Washington, D.C. in 2011, shortly after Denver was announced, along with Boston, Minneapolis, New York City, Orlando, and Seattle. Um, and then as we continue on, Vancouver, Canada, Geneva, Edmonton. And in 2015, they started uh, year-round services to Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Yeah, um, as, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. As we were talking about aircraft liveries before and cool ones, um, Iceland Air has a Boeing 757-200. It is in a special livery depicting the northern lights. Um, it's, I think it's a gorgeous airplane. It is by far one of um, the coolest airplanes I've ever seen. Yeah, so not only do I love 757s, but also just the paint job on this is awesome. Um, so I just wanted to... Point yeah. that out. Also, look that one up. Yeah, yeah, definitely take a look at yeah. that. We'll uh, put the uh, put a link to Jet Photos photo yep. in the um, show notes, so you can take a look at it. Yeah. Um, Iceland Air then in 2014 started the branding hashtag My Stopover, which allowed people to fly from the United States, have a like three day layover in Iceland, and then continue on to Europe, all on one convenient ticket. Uh, which is quite interesting. That boosted yeah, that tourism in Iceland, as well as fun. you got low fares um, to get to Europe. So yeah. yeah, it's like a pre-vacation before your Europe vacation. Um, and then in 2021, Iceland Air then um, absorbed the uh, smaller carrier, Iceland Air Connect, which flies in between the smaller Icelandic cities. And right now they've got 737 MAX 8s and MAX 9s, uh, 15757 200s, two 757 300s, uh, a 767-300ER, as well as a couple de Havilland-8Q200s and 400s. So in total, they have 43 aircraft in service. Yeah, which is uh, quite the uh, large fleet network. Yep, and these 757s are be are to be retired in 2026 as well so that's kind of sad but i'm guessing then they will probably end up buying probably more max eight nines maybe even tens yeah yeah i mean i think they're they're getting four a321s neos um they're leasing them in the next couple of years uh speaking of leasing iceland uh air also leases a couple of their aircraft out um to other airlines as well as um, special um, uh, company charter companies, so Iceland Air uh, rents out one seven five seven two hundred to um, the National Geographic Channel to do uh, both a uh, Antarctic expeditions as well as round the world tours. That is really cool. So for I think it's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars, you can go on a like two month around the world tour, stopping in all seven continents, including Antarctica, with National Geographic um, expeditions and visit some of the most famous places 
and it's in this like really cool converted 757. Add that to the bucket list. They also um, re- released some of their aircraft to Cabo Verde um, Airlines, and they lease them out during the summertime due to increased uh, passenger service. And they also ha- have four aircraft dedicated to just cargo variants, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that is Iceland Air. If you're interested in them, I'll drop a link to their website in the show notes so you can check out the 85-year-old Icelandic flag carrier. Yeah. Well, Ava, do you got anything else for this episode? I don't think I do. Well, from Ava and myself, we wish you guys the best of weeks, and we can't wait to see you in episode 8, which should be coming out sometime, hopefully next week. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening through the to Through the Clouds podcast. I'm your host, Jared Schiedemeyer, joined alongside Ava Albright. And we'll see you next time. See ya.